Well, it is back to the archives this week. During the summer months, there are a few Sundays when I'm out of the pulpit. And this summer, I've decided to use a series uh, from 2020 that I preached from the letter of James uh, to be those bonus episodes to fill in when there's not a current sermon. So today we come to James chapter 1, uh, verses 12 and 18, a, or 12 through 18, a sermon I titled, God is Good. James makes two basic fundamental uh, points here. That first is that God does not tempt us towards sin. And secondly, that all that is good is from God. One of the realities of our present day is with the decline of biblical understanding and literacy, so is there also a decline in the ability, in the vocabulary, in the worldview of being able to speak to and respond to evil. Friends, evil is present and it is real, but many today, our, our neighbors and our friends that uh, don't know the testimony of Scripture, don't have the theological framework or understanding to understand the presence of evil, recognize the danger of evil, or even how to respond to evil. So I'm hoping that this passage and this sermon will be a blessing to you today. This is James uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, God is good. Preaching through the book of James, we come to chapter 1, verse 12. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you, if you would, to, to find the book of James in your Bibles and first chapter and then verse 12. And if you're physically able, I would invite you, if you would, to stand as we read the Word of God. You may remember from last week, uh, James talked about how we are to respond to various trials with joy. And this week he gives us greater instruction in understanding the difference between a trial and a temptation. In verse 12, he says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life with the, which, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted uh, by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived. My beloved brethren, every good thing bestowed in every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. So one of the things that is happening is our world has grown uh, more and more secular. And I, I, don't, I don't mean that in the sense that um, there has been a dramatic shift in recent days, but I mean over, over the last few decades, um, biblical knowledge has decreased. And, um, you know, if you go back um, not too much long ago and read historical accounts, you'll, you'll read politicians and folks who necessarily weren't uh, church-attending believers, but their biblical knowledge was such that oftentimes their language included biblical references and things from a biblical worldview were a, um, were a controlling factor in, uh, in the majority of the culture's understanding of things. So as our world has grown more secular, 
as a, there's a corresponding reality that it has also grown less biblically literate. And this has led to a diminishing ability to understand and speak about things of a broken world. And we see that in a couple of ways. Without a biblical worldview, there, there is no understanding of the real and present danger of evil in the world and the need to restrain it. And so when secular politicians are faced with the reality of evil, instead of speaking about evil as what it is and understanding what it is, they'll, they'll talk about the need for um, prescribing legislation and regulatory work and economic or education remedies, believing that the undesired behavior can somehow be overcome with just the right mix of program law and enforcement. It's, a, it's a, certainly a, a, a correct motivation, but without a biblical worldview, they, they like the understanding of what it is and how to deal with it. But I also see this in how individuals speak of their own difficult situations. So last week, we, we talked about trials, and I hope you were here last week. If not, I would love for you to go back and watch the archive video of it. And we talked about that because we live in a broken world, one of the realities of that is that all of us will experience difficulties in this life. Trials and difficulties that, that ne don't necessarily come from your action or a, or a consequence to your action, but just part of living in a broken world. So natural disasters, disease, loss of a job, all those sort of things that come that you have to, you have to, to deal with. And what I have discovered is um, oftentimes when, when, uh, when even Christians speak about difficult situations, what they will do is they will ascribe the blame or the responsibility to God when in fact God is the cure, but he was not the cause. And that is true both of trials and it is certainly true with temptations. So there are two words here that I want us to understand before we go any further, and that is what James means by trial and what he means by temptation. In the first 12 verses, James uh, speaks of trials, and he rightly instructs us to count, us, count those when we encounter them with joy. So count it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials in your life. A trial is a difficulty encountered as a result of living in a fallen world. So physical illness, natural disasters, the abuse of, uh, of sin of others. And so the hardships that come into your life because of the consequence of sin in others. These are not caused by God. I think it is even right to say these are not desired by God. However, God uses these situations, these difficulties to mature us and to develop us. And James says the, the beautiful result of these various trials in our lives is that they produce in us endurance, endurance that we might be faithful to the very end uh, and enjoy the fullness of salvation. Now in verse 13, so in 12, he, he celebrates those who endure in verse 12. In verse 13, James references temptations. And he is making the very simple but needed point this morning that temptations are something that, that lures us towards sin and away from God. Therefore, temptations are not and never can be the, the action of or the will of God. Temptations lead us to sin. And sin brings consequence and destruction in our lives. God has and will never tempt you toward sin. 
the consequence of sin are not trials intended for your, the consequences of sin are not trials intended for your blessing. They are the result of brokenness and destruction that comes as a result of sin. In fact, the very testimony of the gospel is that God is providing a way for us to be saved from this broken world, that he desires for our salvation and not for our destruction. This is a very simple message today, but one I think that is important for us to understand the distinction between these two things and where God works in these and where our own lust work in these. James wants the church to understand clearly, and I think uh, he wants us to understand clearly as well. So here's the two things we're going to speak about this morning. Number one, God does not tempt. Very simple, straightforward. We're going to talk about what those temptations are and how God has no part in those temptations. And then secondly, that all that is good, all good things come from the Lord. Let's begin with God does not tempt. A temptation is something that leads you away from God. It lures you away from God. But you need to understand that everything about God is, and his work and his will, is that God is working to draw you near, to pull you unto himself. As plainly as James can write, he says, God cannot be tempted and God cannot tempt he says that in, um, in, in verse 13, says, let no one say he is tempted. When he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. In other words, there's nothing in God that desires evil. There's nothing in God that wishes for evil or, or longs for evil. God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. In fact, to say that God tempts or lures or participates in wicked sin at all is contrary to the very character and nature of God. Both of these things would be temptation and being tempted are contrary to the nature of God. Psalm 92 says to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. First John chapter three says, and you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. This is Jesus. And in him, there is no sin. Second Corinthians five, same thing. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become righteous, the righteousness of God in him. In the first 12 verses, James celebrates that God uses the various trials we face to draw us to him. So James says, listen, those broken realities of this world, natural disasters, difficult news, God is working through those, but notice the work of God. He is using those to draw us to him, to rely on him, to see his provision and his his protection and all those things. When God is doing that to endure, to build endurance in us, that is a work of drawing us to him that we might walk more closely and intimately with the Lord. But now as he turns his attention to temptation, he says, listen, there is no part of this that God would ever participate in because God is always working to draw us to himself. When our children were little, it was always difficult to to walk through a store with them. Because when you walk through a store with little children, I mean, that, that age of children when they're no longer in the stroller, they're walking so you don't have them confined, but, but they're not quite old enough to know where they are if they lose eyesight with you at that, that age. The problem with walking through a store with them is you're saying, right, you need to keep up with me. But there are so many things that lure their attention away. And so as you're walking through the store with little ones, it was always frustrating because you'd say, keep up, keep up. But as you stopped and did something or picked up an item, you turn around and they'd be they'd be gone. 
Or while you were walking, they would, they would see something and stop to look at it and, and ponder it, and, and you turn around, they'd be gone. And so I discovered that there was one trick to always keeping my children with them. Before we'd go in, I'd say, now listen, here's the deal. If you get lost from me, I don't know what's going to happen to you, right? So you got to keep up so that you don't get lost. And then when I hit the door of the store, I was just shy of a sprint. I would move as fast as my legs could take me and always keeping an eye on my kids, knowing that they had just about run to keep up with me behind me. Now, that did one of two things. Number one, it made them a little afraid that they were going to get left behind. But number two, their attention was always focused on keeping up rather than being distracted by those things around me. Now, you might say to me, well, Pastor, that's a little mean to make your kids run like that. But I'm telling you, you know my heart of that was? To draw them to me. Right. I understood they were protected and safe when they were with me. And so I was working. I was producing a little trial in their life, not to tempt them away, but to draw them and to keep them to me so they might be safe and that they may actually go home when I went home as well. God is drawing us to himself. God is always working to draw us to himself. And anything that is not drawing us to God is not of God. That's James' point. In fact, he says here that temptations present sin as something good, but it's a lie. You know, there are many things that appeal to us. Many of these things seem good and helpful. But just because something seems good doesn't make it a good gift from the Lord. If anything tempts you to sin, if anything lures you away from the Lord, if anything baits you to partake in sin, then it is not Good. And if you'll notice what James writes here, he talks about where the, the source of temptations come from. He says, don't ascribe them to God. But he says, but in verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by what? His own lust. Those things that you desire that are not righteous, those things that you long for that are not of God, that's where temptation comes from. And when we long after something that is not good, we believe the lie that something that is rotten and wicked is somehow good and beneficial. I think this is what the author of Hebrews had in mind when he wrote in chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and every sin and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who is the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, put away those things that, that capture the, the attention of our lust and put our attention only on Jesus that we might run to win. Put off, throw away, leave behind anything that hinders in any way your walk with the Lord. Temptations may present sin as good. I think that's what he's getting at there in verse 14. But when given over to sin, it always brings about destruction. You know, over the course of 20 years of ministry, I've had several conversations where people have 
attempted to present their sin as something good and even as something provided for by God. Now, oftentimes when folks come, they'll say, Pastor, I want you to pray with me about something and I'm happy to do that. But whenever somebody comes to me and they, and they present an issue of sin to me and they present it as somehow that somehow God's gonna use that or they're, they're praying about how God's leading them. At this point in my ministry, I just don't have time for that foolishness anymore. And I say to them, dear friend, there's no need to pray about this. I already know where the Lord is on this. Put away sin and flee from it because temptations are not from God. Oh, you might believe in your silliness of lust that somehow they're good. You might believe in the lie of Satan that somehow they're beneficial. But I'm telling you, the end result of all sin and all lust is destruction. And as James says, death. And it is not of God. You know why? Because sin destroys To make the matter as plain as he can, James says in verse 15 that when temptations give way to sin and sin is is accomplished, it brings death. That is both the destruction of the physical and the spiritual. This is in tremendous sharp contrast to verses 2, 3, and 4 where James calls us to celebrate what God is accomplishing in our lives when we obey and we endure various trials. So in the first 12 verses, James says, look, you face difficult moments. God uses them to draw near to him. You see God's provision and and, and you're encouraged by God's uh, uh, protection. And and those are good things. So celebrate it as all joy. Now in the second section, he's returning to the reality that when we give into temptations, not trials, when we are lured away from the Lord, it brings about total destruction in our lives. The simple point he is making is that obedience produces blessing, but sin destroys. Obedience draws you closer to the Lord, but sin pulls you away from the Lord. And the underlying plea is to choose the Lord in everything. Choose to persevere in trials, knowing God will provide. Choose to resist temptation, knowing that it will lead away from the presence of God. Choose righteousness over sin, knowing that righteousness brings life and sin brings death. God will not, has not, and will never tempt you to draw, to move away from him. He is always working to draw you toward him. Therefore, when you're tempted, don't say it's of the Lord. Don't say God's doing something challenging. My Lord. Oh, God is never challenging you to move towards sin. That is a product of your own lust. And it is a lure unto a trap that will destroy God does not tempt. Then to make the matter even more plain, James says, listen, here's the deal. The gifts of God are always good. In fact, all good things come from above. Look at what he says. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So listen, let's be, let's be clear here, guys. Some of you are confused about where this temptation coming from. It's not from the Lord, but don't be deceived. It says in verse 17, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of Lights, Father of Lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In other words, it's always the same, it's always consistent. God is always good. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth in the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. All good things come from God. A couple of things here. Number one. God provides for our good. 
At the heart of every temptation is the lie that there is something good or better outside the righteousness of God. Every sin that every one of us has ever participated in, at the beginning of that sin was the lie and the believing of that lie that somehow something outside of the righteousness of God was better than God's righteousness. James says, oh, don't be deceived. Every good thing and every perfect gift is from God. If it's good and if it's perfect, it's from God. All good things come from the Lord. So don't miss the intensity here of this word. Jesus declared when, when called good that only God was good. You may remember in Mark chapter 10 and Luke chapter 18, he was, he was called a good teacher and Jesus pushed back and he said, now only God is good. And he was making the point that true goodness is to be without blemish or error, to be perfect. And so where we use the word good for a lot of things, we use it as a, as a sort of a word to just say something that we like or is um, desirable. Jesus understood that to be the true definition of good was to be without blemish, to be perfect, to be, to be God. And therefore, with that understanding, we understand that all good gifts, perfect, without blemish, are from the Lord alone. Now, there are some characteristics about good gifts. Number one, they're a blessing for your good and for your health. They draw you to the Lord. So when you're distinguishing between something that is of the Lord and something that is not, the first question you ask, does this thing, does it draw me to Jesus? Does this thing work in my life to draw me closer to the Lord? Now, can we be honest for just a minute? There are some things in our life that we've let hang out there too long that don't work to draw us to Jesus. I had a friend of mine one time, had a recliner in his home. And I know I'm stirring the Kool-Aid here for just a minute. And by the for full disclosure, I have a recliner in my house. But a friend of mine one time got rid of his recliner because he said when he came home, it wasn't good for his family life. He said, you know, I'd sit in that recliner, I'd fall asleep, and I wouldn't want to spend the rest of the evening with my family. It was distracting me from what I needed to be giving my attention to. So he got rid of the thing. He understood that, I mean, recliner is neither here nor there. It's neither positive or negative. But in his life, it wasn't drawing him toward what he needed to give his attention to. So, dear friends, if it is of the Lord, it's a blessing. It works in your life to draw you to the Lord. Secondly, it's faith building Drawing you to deeper belief, drawing you to greater trust in the Lord, drawing you to walk daily in a dependence on the Lord. If, if it is from the Lord, it is bringing into your life a, a building and encouraging a, a growing faith. If you've allowed something in your life that's distracting you from trusting God, if you've allowed something in your life that, that, that is drawing you away from trusting in God's provision, it's not from God. And lastly, it's obedience encouraging Encouraging obedience in both the public and private parts of your lives, motivating you to live every part of your life to the Lord. A good gift of God is not only a blessing and not only builds your faith, but it builds your, in, your obedience. Oh, if there's anything in your life right now, listen to me carefully, that you've got to hide from somebody, that you've got to click off the phone when somebody walks in the room, when you've got to change the channel, then that thing does not need to be in your life. Can I hear an amen? At least an ouch. Good gifts of the Lord encourage obedience to his righteousness. Secondly, good gifts, God's good gifts, and this is the best, they never fade. They never wear out. Listen to what he says. In the text, he says, 
In verse 17, he says, the father lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In other words, these gifts are, they're coming down from the Lord and they're constant, they're continuous. They don't fade away. They never change order. God's goodness is constant. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You know, there are some things that our grandparents called good that, that we call bad. And there's some things that we call good today that our kids will call bad. Our grandkids will call bad. Just consider how fashion changes. I remember when um, those parachute pants were all the rage. Come on now. None of us will get caught dead. And some of you don't even know what in the world I'm talking about, but I'm telling you I look sharp in middle school parachute pants. Zipper jackets, y'all remember those? Come on now. They were gifts. I thought they were good. Wouldn't wear them today because they, their value, their goodness has faded. But the goodness of the Lord is the same in every generation, in every culture, in every location, and in every nation. When God gives you something good, it is always good. His goodness is eternal and constant. His goodness is full, never wavering like, like the light of a distant light. The, the image here is the contrast of the father of lights with, it, with a distant candle. A distant candle will flicker and change, giving more light one moment and, and less the next. But the father of lights is a light bright and inexhaustible, unchanging light, always the same, always present, always shining without any limits. His goodness is sure. There is something sure, and there's, there's absolutely nothing sure in this world but this, that the goodness of God is forever. In good times and bad times, in peace and in distress, in days when we don't know what a pandemic is and in days where we're all struggling to figure out what to do in a pandemic, no matter what, his goodness is sure. And I think there's one other thing to be said here, and that is that Amongst all the gifts that God gives, and there, there are many, the greatest gift of all is the gift of our salvation. I was thinking this morning when we were singing, there was a, there was a, there was a moment in the, in the song where we repeated a phrase over and over again. And I was thinking about those phrases that we never get tired of repeating. I hope with your spouse it's never a burden or a chore to say to your spouse that you love them, whether you've been married six months or 60 years. And I hope before the Lord, you never get tired or burdened to tell the Lord how good he is. Because if you've been saved, here's your story, that you were a vile, wicked sinner who had allowed the lust of your wicked heart to run rampant and you had given in to all of that lust and allowed it freely to manifest and bear forth sin in your life and you were rightly due all the destruction, condemnation, and death that that sin required. There was nothing good in you. There was nothing redeemable in you. And yet, out of the, before the foundations of the world, God knew that about you, provided his son who knew no sin, but took on your sin onto him that he might pay the consequence for your sin, that you might receive the eternally good gift of salvation. This is what I have received. That when I stand before God in eternal perfect judgment and God sees everything about my life, he will declare and judge me 
perfect and righteous, not on account of me, but on account of Jesus. And dear friends, I'm telling you, that is a good, good, good gift. And if that was the only gift that God ever gave me, if he never provided for me the things that I wanted and thought I needed, if he never gave me comforts in this world, if he never gave me relationships that were a blessing, if he gave, never gave me a fellowship that was encouraging, if he never gave me anything but my salvation, it was a gift worthy of declaring, my God is a great and mighty and good God because he has given me the good gift of salvation. Oh, dear friends, he is good. You know, one of the challenging realities of living in a digital connected world is that everyone and anyone can post anything they want to on the internet, whether it is true or not. And sometimes it's a bit hard to discern the validity and authenticity of things you read online. And if you're not judicious, if you don't do a little research, you might get caught reposting or furthering something that turned out not to be true. Some of you are familiar with a website called Babylon B. It's a satirical, humorous website that would take outlandish things that were not true and present them as real news articles. I always thought it was funny, and I used to post a few of them until some of you freaked out thinking they were real. <laughs> there was a Sunday school class called me into their Sunday school one time because I had posted one about churches putting game consoles on the back of pews and charging congregates for playing games during service. And and I had posted, this is a brilliant idea. And one of the Sunday school classes called me and I said, Pastor, tell us you're not doing this in our church. And I was like, oh, no. I had to quit posting those things because some people thought they were, they were real. There's an author that I often read and, in fact, weekly listen to speak on various subjects. And over the years, I've listened to him many, many, many times. I've heard him preach many times. I've read many of his books. And as a result of that, I... I, I pretty much have a pretty good bead on where he stands on some things. I've always found him faithful to the biblical text and, and, a, and a good source of, of deep thinking theology and, and, and preaching. So a year or two ago, and somebody brought me a, a printout of a blog post that they had read that was accusing this, this author and this pastor of not being faithful to biblical truth. I didn't have to spend a lot of time reading the, the blog post. I didn't give any attention to discerning or researching where it came from or where it was from. I looked at it, I realized what it was, and I said, this is a lie. And they said, well, how do you know it's a lie? And I said, because I know the person that they're accusing. I've heard him speak on this very issue multiple times, and what this blog post is accusing him of is contrary to the nature and character of everything I have known about this man. It is a lie. James is calling us who know Jesus to recognize the same thing. There will be folks, in fact, some of us sometimes will be tempted to ascribe to God the responsibility, the blame for our own lust and our own sin. And James is wanting us to make very clear, dear friends, understand God is working in this world to use our various trials to endure us that we might remain till the end. But when it comes to temptation and when it comes to sin, that's so contrary to the nature of God, it cannot be 
Don't blame God. Don't accuse God of your sin born out of your lust. Recognize that God is always drawing us near and never, never, ever working to push us away. Know the character of God so that you can recognize the lure and lie of temptation and not be caught in its destructive web. Know the character of God that you can rejoice in the good gifts he has provided in the gift of salvation. Know God that you might walk faithfully and obediently with the Lord. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.